informative podcast all about training working dogs look no further than the lwdg pod dog this weekly show is hosted by me joanne perrott founder of the ladies working dog group and i chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years this podcast will have something for you so pull up a chair pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to lwdg pod dog and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Dog. This week I am joined by Society member Tracy Visoska. How are you today, Tracy? I'm good, thanks Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really looking forward to our chat, our podcast, all about the topic, which is taking a breath at 50. Now, you and I came up with this topic chatting about your sort of background and your history and and how you got to where you are today so can you tell the listeners all about your background okay so um i for the last 12 years have been a uh, a canine behaviorist um i started that following the death of uh my most precious dog. So I'll just go back to that slightly. So I had two Rottweilers uh, in my previous life, most wonderful dogs. And um, uh, because I chose to have big dogs, I found myself very quickly on the blunt end of um, the public's disapproval of these type of dogs. And the first thing that occurred to me is um, after a gentleman told me that my dog should be muzzled when out in public um, because they're on the dangerous dogs list, I thought, do you know what? I need to know what I'm doing here. So the first thing I wanted to do was make sure my dogs were really well trained. And the second thing I wanted to do was find out about dog law. So two things sparked uh, an interest straight away there. So I really I started to read a lot about dog training. Now we're talking back in 1996, 97. Um, so quite a long time ago. So obviously the dog training has changed an awful lot in that time. In fact, the breeder that I got Jewel and Diesel from told me I should use a choke chain. <clears throat> and at that time, I didn't know any different. So I bought little puppy choke chains for my dogs um but very quickly just thought I'd, it was more the look I thought this doesn't go with me so I bought flat collars and started from there but um I made a conscious decision then to make sure that my large dogs were really really well behaved in public and they were um and I like I said I, I also then started this journey of learning all about dog law so the first thing I found out was Rottweilers are not and have never been on the dangerous dogs list um, and therefore were not required to be muzzled in public. And then um, <clears throat> Jewel uh, became my rock as uh, my, my husband, my first husband and I decided to split. And, and like many people, you know, your dog is not only the reason you have to get up in the morning, they become the reason that you want to get up in the morning when things go wrong. Um, and they just take on a whole new importance in your life when, when things don't go according to plan um so as it was previously sort of decided diesel went with my husband went to live with him and jewel stayed with me and she just became even more important in my life and i was working in the corporate world then and jewel died from complications uh 
regarding to um, Cushing's, relating to Cushing, sorry. And within about three days of her dying, um, I resigned my post in the corporate world. I remember sitting in a meeting, just listening to people chatting and just thinking, I don't think I care about any of this anymore. You know, it was just all nonsense. And so I resigned there and then. And I took three months off work to get my head uh, around losing Jewel. And I started studying. Um, I joined the Animal Care College and started um, studying um, introduction to canine psychology, then intermediate canine psychology, and then advanced canine psychology. And it took me about four years to do all in all. It was quite a lengthy process because you look at everything from diet and um, body language and everything. It was, it was massive. And so Jewel, I then started my business and Jewel was my, that legacy, her death prompted me to take my life in a different direction and even now I still well up thinking about it sometimes thinking this was all down to her you know the fact that I chose to have Rottweilers and she really taught me the importance of being a really good dog owner and the importance of training. When you first like mentioned this to me we weren't arranging a podcast about it we were just talking about ways we were working getting together things that we could do and then when you told me all this I was like oh my god you know you should really do something like a master class or do something but then you talked to me a little bit more about what happened as you processed or as you went down this process can you tell us a little bit more about that um I guess, I mean, I started off like everyone does with huge amounts of enthusiasm. When you're learning new things, you just become a sponge for all this knowledge. There literally seems to be no, um, no stopping point. You just seem to have to take on so much and there's enthusiasm running through every, every vein in your body. I set up the business, I set up the website. I was just oozing enthusiasm. And it, it upsets me even now when I hear dog trainers say oh, I work with dogs because I don't like people and I think it's it saddens me because actually I love people and I love dogs and I love people with dogs even more and it's the people who pay the bills and it's the people who decide whether to keep re-engaging you when you're training their dogs so you've got to be good with people if you want to be a good dog trainer so I set up the business and the, the three kind of cornerstones of my business were behavior training exercise that was kind of my company logo so it was about understanding the correlation between the right type of exercise the right amount of exercise um, training your dog for life skills and uh, and often you know looking for chinks in the armor where things are going wrong and perhaps you need to understand the emotion that's driving some behaviors you know, as your dog is, is progressing through their life. So that, that was the route that I took, that these three things were intrinsically linked. Um, and you, you loved, like you said, the business and you loved everything that you were doing. What, what made you decide to take a breath and to step back from everything? Because you told us like briefly, there was, you know, the sad passing of your Rottweiler meant you'd you wanted that life change. It was just, yeah. it was the catalyst that said, right, we're going down this path. You were loving going down this path. What what changed for you to, to not feel the same about that path? Gosh, that's how long have you got? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, <laughs> so um, 
there's there's when you are in that in the industry of working with dogs and you want to do it really well there's a huge emphasis and rightly so on continued professional development and I think that's really really important um, but it does add quite a lot of pressure if you want to do it well there's lots of seminars you know there's lots of uh, getting other trainers to to observe you on a regular basis you're going to observe other trainers on a regular basis a lot to fit in around just doing your core role there's so much information out there and and you and the rest of your um, team know that they're everyone's an expert when it comes to dogs you know the guy in the pub your next door neighbor the postman this that and the other and, and that can sometimes feel really overwhelming that you're sat there almost screaming behind the scenes going, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm the one with the knowledge. Why don't you listen to what I have to say? And that can be incredibly frustrating. Um, I just felt like my head was going to explode at times. And as a very typical woman suffering from imposter syndrome and focusing on when my help wasn't going as well as I wanted it to. So you, you get someone, so owners, uh, I guess by definition of the fact that most of us are on diets in our lives, we always leave the problems till they're too late or they've got so big that you suddenly think, oh my God, I really need to deal with this. And when it comes to dog behavior, that's really dangerous. That if you've got a problem, you need to seek help early doors. Don't think that it's just gonna magically get better or what have you. And so owners often, not always, but often leave problems until they become almost insurmountable. And then what they do is seek out the help of an expert. And one of the first questions they, I found was, I was always being asked is, how long is it gonna to take to fix? And that for me was one of my red flag moments because that shouldn't, I understand why it's your first question because you've left it so long, you now want to fix it quickly. But actually, you then end up sometimes dealing with owners who will literally do whatever it takes, regardless of the detriment it may then have on the relationship between them and their dog, just to, uh, to stop this current behaviour that they're really struggling with, which, had they dealt with it a year ago, would have been quite quick to fix. I don't like the word fix, by the way, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and the sort of what you just said there is it's very much, like you said, our diet culture, we're not very rarely are we proactive, we're normally reactive. It's like, oh, I'm going on holidays or something. So now I'm going to deal with this. And we have waited till it's too close. And then we do tend to do something, you know. And when I say we, I'm talking about the UK or even the global way of dealing with like being overweight when you're trying to go to something like holidays. We will do something massively drastic, not in any way. Um, something that we can consistently do in life, nor should we. So instead of having this like general, general, gentle, healthy, proactive plan we've followed for a year, we will eat eggs and cabbage water for three weeks to get ready to go somewhere. And then we are starving, we are hungry, we're not in the right place. And then we do that thing. And you're very right. People have got a dog screaming on the end of a lead or is doing something around the house, chewing everything that you literally cannot move without that dog annoying someone in the family. And then they just like, at the point where it's like, I have to stop it now or my partner or husband or somebody has said, the dog has to go. So yeah. the place that they're even starting trying to fix something from is one of drastic measures, isn't it? Yes. And anyone who knows anything about dog behaviour, dog training, knows that 
the quick fixes always have fallout, always. You fix part or the whole of one problem and something else has bubbled away underneath while you've done that, while you fix that one problem, and then you end up with a much bigger issue in the long run. And it's it's sad. And I think, you know, going back to your question about why, why I had to take a break, I genuinely was, I just felt a lot, I, I was very happy a lot of the time. And so many of my clients gave me such joy and we giggled a lot and all of that. But it just kept building that I have this overwhelming sadness in me that I couldn't, I knew that I couldn't carry on. And not long before I finished, I went on a webinar because the title was just brilliant. It was run by an amazing animal behaviorist called Sarah Whitehead. And she ran a webinar um, called Why Being a Dog Trainer Might Just Kill You. <laughs> and I thought, what a great title. So I hopped onto this webinar and it was absolutely brilliant. And she was talking about how dog trainers are, are a type A personality generally. So these are the sort of people who often go into nursing and teaching. You know, we have this sort of caregiving uh, um, approach. So um, uh, typically our sort of personality traits, we're hardworking, often ambitious, can be impatient, definitely workaholics, good at multitasking, take on far too many responsibilities. Is this sounding familiar, Joe? Um, easy, get easily frustrated. Um, but in amongst all of that, we're very caring and giving to the point that we don't know when to stop. So we give so much of ourselves to our clients and their dogs. And even when they've gone home or we watch them walk back to their car, we're already going back into our house thinking about them and their dog tonight and tomorrow. And we just don't stop. And it becomes this you know, this real thing. And the problem for personality A type people is that when you then drip a load of stress on top, we are the type of people who crash. We become really intolerant. We can say inappropriate things because we've just um, got to the end of our tether. And Sarah described something that was very, um, very apparent to me, which is compassion fatigue. And I, those two words, I thought, oh, my God, that's that's it. That's what I've got. Um, so I say it again, it's compassion fatigue. So you've given so much of yourself to be compassionate to where inexperienced owners go things wrong with their dogs like we, we all do. But you just go, I can't I can't help you anymore. I just can't help you anymore. And it became very apparent to me that that's where I was heading. And like we've talked before the podcast and, you know, there's quite a lot on, on my shoulders at the moment, but you're quite right, aren't you? That whole, like, you don't break a one thing, you break a lots of things. And it's, I'm very aware of my personality and my behavior. So I will put in things to um, barrier, buffer, where I know I'm going, because I've been there many times before. So I will put things in place. But it is very, very difficult, like you said, when something is so important to you and so absorbing of your time, putting the barriers in place for that is not as easy because it's something that you love so much, you don't want to step away. But if you don't step away, you're going to end up hating the thing you love. Yes, absolutely. And it is really, really difficult. And I remember thinking... 
um, years ago when I did some human psychology, because there's a lot of crossover and you are dealing with people every time you deal with a dog. And let's not forget that. Um, Stephen Covey, who wrote the book about um, how to uh, win friends and influence people and all of that sort of stuff. One of his key messages, though, is really important. I still live by this now is seek first to understand before being understood. And for me, that's really apparent in the dog world. You know, we need to think more about seek first to understand our dog's perspective, how this is for our dog. What's their map of the world before trying to you know, push what we need from them? If we if we can see things from their perspective, often that unlocks the very obvious answer of how to, again, don't like this word, fix things. Um, and I just, I feel again, it's you, you want to, even when owners are telling you things that you're just, you're literally sitting there going, oh, bless you, oh, bless you, this is just awful. You're still trying to understand why on earth they've gone down that rabbit hole. <laughs> and then that comes back to the whole thing of there's just too much information out there for, for owners. When we talk about like compassion fatigue or even knowledge fatigue or all these types of fatigues, we live in an incredibly mentally busy world. You know, I look sometimes, I've got two screens in front of me. I've asked my husband to find one where I can have four. I've got my like my Surface Pro on. I've got my iPad on. I have a child who's homeschooling now, so it comes through the door into the office probably about 15 times a day and I love I actually love her doing that but she's like got questions and she's got a laptop and she's asking me things and like the phone is ringing and all these things and I think how on earth as we get older the demands on us become more and more and we didn't I didn't see it you know I'm not at 50 I'm 43 but I never saw all right rub it in <laughs> I never saw though the fact that as you get you think as you get older everything will get more organized but it doesn't it just becomes more overwhelming I think yeah because that age-old adage that the more knowledge you have the more questions you have and so I I hoped when I started the business back in 2010 that because I had spent all this time studying I'd have all this knowledge and everything would become clear and it did it did to a huge, a greater extent. But as the years then go on, you start to question that knowledge because things change and you talk to other people and you widen your network and you have different perspective and you read different books and all of that sort of stuff. And so this knowledge that you were quite comfortable and confident in just keeps opening up these chasms of, but what about this? Well, how does that now relate to this? And what about in the, and it, it just, yeah it you, your head just wants to explode and um I met a client once the most lovely guy was a farmer and he rang me and he said oh I've got this dog Flo I'll never forget a little black Labrador he said I've got this dog I, I need to do some work with it because I want it obviously because he's a farmer I need to do some work with it because uh, I want to get it out picking up and what have you and he rocked up at my paddock on the wrong day to start with I'd send him away and come back the next day bless him he came back the next day with this dog uh she was on the back seat of his truck he didn't even have a lead he's so disorganized but this little dog jumped out the truck we walked up the path to my training paddock this little dog just walked by his side just looking up at him like that and he's chatting along in his dirty overalls 
I said, what, what is it that you want to work on? And he just sort of said, oh, some stop and this, that and the other. And it was the most beautiful thing. And I, I sent him away after 20 minutes and I said to him, you don't need me. I said, you're the person who reminds me of why we need to strip everything out with our dogs, because what you've done with your dog from the day dot, you've just been present. You've just been with her. You're just hanging out with her. You're not putting any constraints on her. And I know we have to teach them behaviours and all of that uh, skills. But what he had done is forged the most beautiful relationship by just being present with this dog to the point you didn't even know where his lead was. <laughs> but they had the most beautiful connection and it just made my heart sing. And I thought, I know it's hard when people are working in offices and this, that and the other, but sometimes I feel like we just spend too much time worrying about the things that aren't really that important. I think if you go to most like farms and smallholders, whatever, is the man with the dog. Like my dad, my dad had a collie and her name was Sam and she would do anything for me. I used to take it to agility and everything. And then it'd be like the Spaniards. He'd walk out the door. Sam would no longer be mine. <laughs> Sam would be yeah. like at dad's heel and she'd go. But I think you're right. Like when they perhaps they're very clear and concise about what they don't want. They don't worry about all the other things. It's like, you know, up, like they'll say to them, up on the quad, up, up me. It's just up. There's not like, yeah. up, can you can you get up there for me, Sam? Because I'm going to be taking you somewhere. There's not this whole like lady conversation. It's like, up, sit. And then she'd sit there wherever they went on the back. Didn't, like you said, didn't tie her in. She was on the back of a quad. She could have, she could have died. You know, with all the women <laughs> things we think of. She was just there and dad just knew she'd hang on, I think. Do you know what I mean? And then you'd like, he'd get somewhere and then he would tell her what he wanted to do. And then he'd say, sit. And it was just, it was just very simplistic. So even as a pap, she learned quite quickly what she needed to do for dad. And yeah. it wasn't overly complicated for man nor dog. No. And when you look at the majority of us who are on the ladies working dog group, the majority of us have gun dogs and some of us actually want, you know, we do shoot with our dogs and what have you. And I know retrieving, as Claire has said many times, you know, it's a seven or eight stage process and it can be very complicated. But the actual beauty of it is it's just a dog working with a human with the same goal in mind understanding each other respecting each other giving each other guidance and space but just working together and I think again you know going back to why I've had to take a break you know with Covid and what have you um, you know you had many people um, getting dogs some it's turned out fantastically but they're not necessarily the the majority and 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 getting getting a dog that they don't really understand what that dog's role is in their life or their role is on the planet, you know, like a working cock spaniel. I'm here to hunt, to put food on your table and this, that and the other. And it just felt like a real kind of starting to become a real mismatch, um, you know, as to the reasons why people were getting dogs with very little understanding of dogs in general and even more under, less understanding, sorry, of the breed that they had chosen. And it just becomes, you don't even have a good starting point then. Um, I think COVID, um, I would, I'm, I'm quite interested in psychology, but I would probably like to at some point sit and talk to psychologists about this if I had time. But I think our perspectives and values in life really like 
they massively change. Because if you look, for example, even at employment, people went to work all the time, lorry drivers, nurses, whatever, outdoor instructors like my husband works in. And they just did that, like they did the job. But what I think somewhere in COVID, we learned to, and it's not a bad thing, it's an it's an awkward thing for employers, but we learned to value our time and having time to ourselves and, and doing what we wanted to do. Um, to the point where I think like when people saw the dogs and thought, oh, I'm one life where I walk around and I want you to be by my side. And they the behavior was truly, they they wanted it with the best intention. That we've all hit this thing now, I think, coming out of it, where we suddenly learned to value our lives and our time and being with our family. And this dog fitted in that a little bit. And now we've all been come out and suddenly, like that, that, that year we had where we like we were in, we were out, it was like a hokey-cokey, that, <laughs> that nothing really got back to normal. But now I think we have, if it is such a word, got back to normal. It's a massive culture clash, I think. What we felt, what we enjoyed, what we experienced, we're not prepared to give that up. I and mean, I think there's almost this like, energy of I don't want to say disappointment just people just thoroughly depressed with the fact that they have to go back to to what life was I actually I think disappointments are quite a good word because I remember thinking (laughs) as the eternal optimist that I am which is part of the reason again I had to have a break because I think you know you don't realize that optimism takes quite a lot of effort sometimes even if it's quite a natural thing but um I remember thinking of all the things that come out of COVID, I hope it brings more kindness, that people are kinder to each other because we've all been through this really tough period and all of us without doubt have been affected uh, on many different personal levels and professional levels. And it makes me sad and I am disappointed that we have gone back to normal where people still cut me up in their cars and. a route to you know shopkeepers and and shop workers and doctors receptionists and I just think god have we really learned nothing interesting part um of this though I think you know we were all standing on the on the streets like clapping for nurses and whatever and there was a feeling of community yeah. I think we are we haven't gone back to normal. We've come back out. And I really do sense, and I don't know whether it's just me. I'm sure there's other people who feel it. I'm sure you feel it. There's a, a huge anger. It's like a, it's almost, I don't know. The world seems really angry right now of what it's had to come back into. Because for a, for a time, do you know what we say like about like all the screens, the man and his dog, for a while, it was just us and life, wasn't it? Or everything else was stripped away, whether we liked it or not. It was yes. all stripped away, and we had to go. Oh, okay, this is what it's like to to sit calmly in the house and not have to go anywhere and, and cook a meal and maybe be simplistic about our meal because there's not much things on the shelves and all those things. We went back to basics in in such a way, in such a fast way, and we talked about the speed we do things and the drastic. We went drastically back to a life we have never experienced and found out we loved it and now yeah. we've drastically been thrown back out into the life we had and gone oh this life's really really sucks yeah and it takes me back to the farmer with flow you know because he this was before covid you know him and flow were just focusing on the basics in life let's just hang out together let's just be together and enjoy the sunshine and enjoy the rain and let's just 
be together. And I think now we've come out of that. But a lot again, people with dogs have suddenly overcomplicated it all again. And you know, um, I know you guys have talked before about overstimulation and far too much enrichment for our dogs. And you know, when when did we lose sight of let's just teach our dogs to settle and to chill out and to be able to do that for many, many hours without needing stimulation? This we've got to do, you know, licky mats and snaffle mats and da-da-da-da-da. You know, go, actually, it's fine, just that your dog is just settled by your feet or not by your feet on their bed in the kitchen and that that's okay you know we don't have to be doing we are human beings not human doings it's okay to be and just stop and breathe and go see I'm I've got friends who have this um, is it FOMO so yeah this is all above my pay grade because I'm old and wrinkly. Uh, so, but um, in discussions with my friends, uh, apparently I'm a Jomo. So I have the joy of missing out. I'm delighted when I realise I haven't been invited to things or I haven't had to put things on social media. And, I, and I'm like, yes, that I'm all over that. For me, it's about me, my little nuclear family, my dogs, breathing. Oh, just, yeah, you guys carry on at 100 miles an hour. That's not for me anymore. I, I've never heard the Jomo thing, but I think I'm with you on it. I've got to be honest. I think It's a beautiful place. Yeah, well, yeah, I think there's something nice of just saying. When, when I was growing up, apart from the fact that we had like the small old in this type of life, my mum and dad loved people around. They loved it. So, like, my father would be sinking in, the man covered in the overalls and, like, covered in mud and whatever. And my mum loved, like, people would turn up and she would, love she, she still loves it now she would like say let's cook a meal out of nothing and she'd like feed like 15 people and our kitchen was constantly full we'd be going to bed at 11 o'clock night me and my brother there's only like 11 months between us and he's like literally I would go to bed he'd go to bed and he'd be like oh it's people here again like literally and growing up now we don't Raymond's probably more sociable than me I will come out into the world, like the game fair, wherever, and I will see everybody and will love everybody. But when I come to my house, I don't think I even invite people to my house. And it's not because I don't like people. It's just I just want a space where nobody else bothers me. Like, just my space. I want to walk around in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt and not have a bra on. I don't particularly care. And I don't have to look tidy. And I scrag my hair back in a bun. And I really don't give a crap. I just want it to be me and my family, my dogs. Yes. I think then if you then simplify, because we keep bringing it back to dogs because that's important to us, we then like this simplified life. And but then we do what you just said, which is go like, dog, let's just do 3,000 things with you. Well, yeah. perhaps the dog, if you turned around and I could have this conversation, would like to say, well, I would just like to hang around looking like crap too with you and not doing jack. Because quite frankly, the best life I have is when... We go out for like half hour, we throw a little bit of a dummy around, you laugh, we laugh, or, you know, we enjoy it, my tail wags, we come back in, we sit down, and then we watch like Top of the Pops, but Top of the Pops yeah. get old now, but you know what I mean, <laughs> it's that who like chill out life, nobody, I'm sure if we spoke to our dogs, no one of them would say, oh my god, I really would love it if you, you could just keep me occupied all the time. Exactly, and I think we've just... Again, you guys have done podcasts on all of this sort of stuff, but it it is we've we've gone too far into this 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 position of we have to be doing something with our dogs all the time. I mean, at least probably 
four days a week, um, Dutch, Lu- Dutch Lucia and I will go for a wander. And at some point in the walk, I'll just sit on the floor. And the three of us just, you know, the dogs will, after a couple of minutes, just go, okay, we're doing the stopping thing. Let's just, and we just sit, we just sit, watch the world go by, the birds, because it's just that it's okay just to be together. We don't have to be doing anything. And I'm just a firm believer that 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 is the basis of that relationship. It's not about what are you going to give me? What am I going to get out of this? It's just I'm okay just to hang out. So when you decided to go, that's enough. I'm closing my business. I'm stepping back. Life is going to stop pushing me 100 mile an hour what was that like was you like oh my god what have I just done um no not straight away straight away I was like it's like um you know when you've been putting off a decision and even when you then make it even if it's the wrong decision you take relief in the fact that you've made a decision at last so the initial euphoria can last for a while. And mine was coupled with extra euphoria because I made the decision to get Dutch. And we put off getting a second dog, partly because, again, controversially, I'm a firm believer that if people have got children, if you're going to bring a new puppy into, into that, unless you're, you really know what you're doing and you've got loads of time, your youngest child should be at least seven or eight years old so that you're not trying to manage both you know both things a child that age you can talk to them about the rules like you mustn't do this 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 and this with the puppy and etc etc so I had the double joy because I was stopping the business and I was getting Dutch so for me it was it was perfect um very quickly I would say within a few weeks I missed the interaction with some of my regular clients there's no doubt about it and I missed the sense of I've made a difference to someone else today. But what I had to do was then realise that I was making a difference to me. And as women, we hate putting ourselves first and we certainly hate saying that we've put ourselves first. But through some difficult times from, you know, my friends have been through different difficult times, uh, bereavements and and cancer and, and all sorts of things that you realise that it is not selfish to put yourself first. It is absolutely essential. And to check in with yourself and go, am I okay today? Am I okay? Because if I'm not okay, I'm not going to ask other people if they're okay. Because I'm, I can't, I'm no good to them anyway. Until I'm okay, I'm no good to anybody else. And so I had to replace that feeling of, uh, feeling like I'd made a difference to someone else's life through helping them with their dog to going, I'm making a difference to my life. You know, I'm suddenly I was, dare I say it, a better wife, <laughs> definitely a better mother. Um, I was always a brilliant dogger. No, I, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was filling lots of my own tick boxes and it suddenly felt quite good to selfishly keep bits of me every day for me and my family and not give away so much. I wonder though, like, not to go back to the COVID thing, what you just said there, was it a case that we all got to be better mums and dads and and sons and daughters? And because we had time, we had time to be with people and help other people who were very, very important to us to have a better day. And now we've gone back to work 
we are some for, for a lot of people that's been stripped you know being home when your children go to bed that's been stripped from lots of men, of men and lots of women who don't have that now and then we wonder where that anger comes from it's, it's the fact that you've taken from people not taken from people because they we shouldn't have had it to begin with a, a dreadful disaster happened but is it a case of now we we know we know what we're missing now and now we're angry that we have to miss it yeah, and it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because no, we were we were fortunate that in the first lockdown we had the most beautiful weather, and I think we and our planet needed a break. But then it became difficult to maintain that break because people were losing their jobs and you know their quality of life because of financial pressures. So it, lockdown then took on kind of the evil side. So it became it became difficult. And I think that in itself then created emotional conflict for for a lot of us. Like I'm really enjoying the break, but now I'm really worrying about financial security and this you know, homeschooling and this and the other. And it, again, it goes back to the things that we understand about our dogs, that although the brain is far of a hugely complex thing, you know, I used to sometimes say to my clients because you don't want to overcomplicate terminology. Let's imagine the brain is split in half. You've got one side for thinking and one side for emotion. Emotion drives behavior in us, in our dogs. And, and the, the key to unlocking the reason why we do things is to understand, well, what emotion is driving that behavior? So that, like you said, we all became better husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and daughters. Because we had the time our emotions were more stable and, and happy. And so the, our output was, was better. It was more joyful and calmer. But as soon as that emotion begins to change, we turn into you know, worry or panic or stress. What we then see is this different output, this, this behavior towards other people or, or what have you. And we see this in our dogs, which is why you know, when, you, when, you, when you do lots of work around canine behavior and stuff that you really want to get to or well, what's driving the behavior I know the owner wants to change the behavior but that's just the output what we've got to do is unpick what's driving that and how do we change that because the behavior then will moderate itself or or, or change into something different once we've unlocked you know what, what's driving it I I'm obsessive reader like you are, and I love to learn. And I read a book, um, I'll find it and put it in the show notes. It was by a lady called Brooke Castillo, I think that's her name. And she explains this whole like, process about feelings and actions now. But she said, every feeling, every feeling you have is initially a thought. And she says, there's not a feeling you have that wasn't a thought. So for example, I see my husband, he's got chocolate. But my, and my thought is, oh, he's got chocolate. And then I feel amazing. And she said that a lot for a lot of us, if we could learn to control the thought, we can control the feeling. Anyway, she goes into it in depth. It's very, very worth reading. But if you think about it with our dogs, um, we don't know what the thought was. We don't know what <laughs> the feeling was. There was definitely, without doubt, regardless of, of the brain of whatever animal, there is a thought. There is a oh shit, he's going to kill me, so I'm going to fly away. Or there is something that makes their behaviour. It's very, I think it's very important we understand that sometimes when we are dealing with a the behaviour, there is a thought behind it in your dog that 
it might not be very easy for you to see does that make sense you the dog might be doing something just because of a thought just like you do things because of a thought gotta work out what the thought was although we can never know exactly what that thought was we've got to try and work out what we possibly could see it be in yeah and it again it's it's a it's a tricky isn't it because the thoughts of our dogs are without doubt far less complex than ours and and yourself and and your lovely colleagues on lwdg you know will be the first to get frustrated when when owners anthropomorphize their dogs and give them all these human attributes you know you're talking we were talking about consent you were talking about consent on a podcast recently and 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 Sam uh, Samantha Thornycroft Taylor and I were discussing this in a in a in a, one of our post lesson cake eating tea drinking bits, and you know we were talking about how consent really feels like a human attribute because consent means you've thought through all of the options available and all the consequences on every single one of those options. Is a dog really capable of that complex feeling? I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think so. When you look at what brings them joy in their life. Oh, bird, food, tummy tickle, you know, let's keep it nice and simple. Um, so I think you're right, it, it starts with a thought, but I genuinely think our dog's thoughts are simpler than perhaps we sometimes give them credit for. And um, wouldn't it be lovely if we had such simple thoughts? I gotta be honest, I think I'd like to live in life when I went food, tummy rub that that's great let's you know that's because we do overthink things but then we overfeel everything that's so, why I took a break Joe because that was me I'm thinking I just want my thoughts to be simpler my brain is exploding with all this information all this continued professional development all these conflicting not conflicting that sounds very negative I don't mean it like that because I'm I'm still very much a sponge for knowledge but it gets a bit lost in translation sometimes it's just too much and it's hard to block it out even if like me you're not really on social media and you know so you 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 go out to find research but it's still it's still there i i definitely understand why you did it and i completely there have been so many times in my life where i probably have probably been forced to take a stop like each operation each brain tumor operation I've had to be forced to stop thinking my brain simply couldn't think so for example um after each operation if I pick up like an iPad and go on social media after like god it's hardly anything after about 10 minutes my brain just stops thinking it's like whoa no 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 you've you've injured yourself you you need to stop um I think for us as we get not not as we get healthy or as we get things but we don't do anything when we are normal I hate using the word normal but where we're not injured and where we're not you know in certain situations we just tend to allow so much stuff to attack us don't we we don't we don't say actually I'm taking a break until like you just said you got to the point where the the, the, we get an obesity where we just go oh too much I've got to do something drastic you then got to too much drastic yeah and I think we don't often we don't do enough inward thinking until you take a break. So I was realizing with this compassion fatigue that my resilience, my emotional resilience, you know, if I, if I, it was just going down and down and down, and that's when you realize things are going wrong because, you know, we would describe it perhaps as being on a short fuse. So little things were bothering me. I'm thinking, why can't I cope with this little thing? It's because my resilience was so low and it was just getting smaller and smaller. And I think about those 
you know, those little egg timers that you tip over and you see the sand. And I was thinking, God, I feel like that, like my sand is right at the bottom. And how do I turn this on its head to get my emotional resilience back up to a place where these knocks and they were they weren't a lot of them weren't even real knocks. I wasn't having clients going, oh, you're terrible. You don't you know, you haven't fixed my dog. It was nothing like that. It was all internal. Um, and and so I was my own worst enemy, but nevertheless, that's I noticed how 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 low or how not low um how um, lacking in resources I was. I'm sure there's loads of people listening. And they're like, oh, I'm either I'm either there now, or I've been there, or I I've been there many times. For you, once you'd like stepped away and you'd had this time and taken this breather and become a better a wife and a better parent and all those things, there is a time, I think, where you decide, okay, well, I can't like completely be excluded from the world forever. Mm-hmm. How have you managed coming back as, you know, Tracy 2.0, who can like <laughs> actually balance how she moves forward? Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, whilst I feel like we do create our own destiny, I am also I sit on the fence with fate uh, because things do happen in your life. You think, oh, gosh, that's that's amazing. So I was at the Cotswold show back in June and uh, yeah, bumped into Lady Bathurst at the Sirencester Park and uh, she had just launched this. Uh, charity, the National Foundation for Retired Service Animals. And because I saw the picture of a German shepherd and this, that and the other, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to see what that's all about. And uh, cut a long story short, I'm now on the management committee for this absolutely incredible charity. And it feels like uh, dipping a toe back in the water. So I'm working with dogs very loosely. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm spending time with some incredible people uh, I recently got to spend the day with Thames Valley Police dog training unit I got to cuddle an eight-week-old Malinois oh my days that was delightful uh, and then I got to watch some of the the bike dogs in training which is just incredible and I I guess because a lot of the trainers are men I I still had this view that oh god I bet the training is quite harsh they're all over positive reinforcement they use clickers they just completely understand how to train these dogs in a much more sympathetic way than they did perhaps 20 30 years ago so I was joyfully impressed by that um, I'm getting out there talking about pe- talking to people about what happens to these amazing dogs and horses when they retire that the government funding stops and um, how how it's really important that we provide uh, financial support for these dog handlers who want to hold on to their dogs rightly so on the day they retire so Tracy 2.0 is now someone who yeah, I feel like my emotional resources are back up to a decent level. I've absolutely loved meeting um, Samantha Thornycroft-Taylor. She and I have the most wonderful training training days, uh, training sessions with Dutch. She has reinvigorated my enjoyment in dog training. Um, not necessarily to go back to it, but just, uh, you know, just being around someone else who's really passionate, but also, you know, doubts herself at times and that sort of thing it's you know that camaraderie has been lovely um 
so I the the charities like I say a bit of a stepping stone back into the real world meeting people talking to people talking about dogs with people which as you can see now it still brings such a such a smile to my face dogs will always be part of my life and I love people but I'm still not sure where which absolute direction I'm heading back into I love Sam as much as you do and I think if you asked Sam why she's a group expert I, I don't know I've never asked this question so maybe after this I'll phone and say <laughs> it but she would probably really downplay why she is there and I'm I'm always when I train with her when I talk to her there's this like really quiet clever wisdom that mm. She doesn't withhold, but you just never. And you've got you've got to go and start like sometimes a conversation with Sam. You start talking to her, and I'm like, she. Could, I could talk to her for hours because she just knows so much. And um, I love her to death. I love all our experts to death. But I think yeah. Sam is probably one of the experts that people might not think of first to go talk to. Her. Um, but she's she's fabulous, absolutely fabulous. I, I wouldn't have her sitting there as one of our group experts if I did not think that there's not a person who would go to her and talk to her where she wouldn't turn around and say, I'll do my best to help. She's that think, Yeah, and I think what Sam um, possesses as well is that she has a plethora of dogs. I think the last count was eight. She was contemplating a ninth. Um, but she's got Marshall, you know, this uh, kind of protection dog, very complicated dog. Um, she's got Tracker, a very another very complicated dog. I think she's only got two dogs that her that her, her are her own from puppy. So what she brings also to the group is this: I've taken on loads of other dogs that have had problems, and I've worked them through, and that give, that gives a different perspective. Because yeah. you know when 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 you were having podcasts previously on things like correction which again, I, you know, I have views on that, but um, one of the things that perhaps doesn't always come up in conversation, because I guess the majority of your uh, ladies um, have got dogs from puppies who are bred well. These are, you know, genetically sound dogs. So you're starting from a different standpoint than a dog who has been beaten within an inch of its life, has got really bad genes, come from a puppy farm. You know, the mother had a horrendous pregnancy, stress, stress, stress. You know, when you're, when you're dealing with those two dogs at, a, at the same age, for example, their map of the world is so, so, so different. And what Sam brings is that understanding that, yeah, under normal circumstances, I would correct that dog. But for this dog, I can't do that. Not yet. And not like that. I've got to do this differently because this dog is very, 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 very different in terms of its, its, um, its upbringing. She's very wonderful, as are all of them, of, of definitely working with the dog in front of her yeah, and not generalising, which I, I adore. Coming away from Sam there a moment and going mm -hmm. back to your NFRSA, yeah. When you started telling me about this, like I know we're going to do a, a podcast separate to this about this charity, but I would like to just briefly touch on it now before we sure. close, just for people who are like, well, what is that about? Can you just yeah. explain quickly why the charity is about and why it's important we support it? 
Okay, so um, it came about as an idea about six years ago when Lady Bathurst was the High Sheriff of Gloucestershire. So she was involved very much then with the police and, and fire and prison services within Gloucestershire. And it just became very apparent that on the day, if, if we talk, we've got prison dogs, fire dogs, UK border force and police. Let's just let's just focus on police. That's one people that everyone knows. There's about two and a half thousand serving police dogs across the country at the moment, and they are general purpose dogs. Um, so usually your German Shepherds or German Shepherd Malinois, Dutch Herders, and then you've got your search dogs, which are usually Labradors um, or Spaniels, and there's a few other joyful mixes in there as well. Um, but on the day that these dogs retire, the handler is faced with a really difficult decision. They can either pay a pound and legal ownership transfers to them, or they need to rehome the animal because they know uh, that at some point there's going to be astronomical, probably, vets bills that they just cannot afford uh, to pay. I, it's a huge number, but 99% of the handlers keep the dogs because these dogs have saved their lives. You know, they've worked with them. They, as the handlers say, I spend more time with my, my dog than I do with my wife and kids because I'm on shift with them for 12 hours, etc. So they take these dogs on. But um, so we had a, a retired police dog, Keela. She had a stomach torsion. So this is emergency surgery needed immediately. £6,000. And the handler, of course, said to the vet, of course, save her life, save her life. And then she's like, oh, my goodness, £6,000. Now what am I going to do? So she's an example of someone who can then put a grant, an appeal in to get a grant from us. And we not only managed to reduce her vet's bill by 20%, we then paid the rest of it for her. And what's lovely, this then becomes very much a two-way relationship because that owner now said, I'm going to fundraise for you. So what we give out, we often get back from, from those people or their extended family and, and, and friends. So these dogs, you know, through no choice, they have, the, they have the most wonderful life. We know that working dogs have amongst the best lives on the planet because they're doing the thing that they were bred to do. And these dogs have the most wonderful life with their handlers. They're just hanging out with them in the back of the police cars all day long. They're like, I am so happy. I'm just with mum and dad and this is great. But on the day they retire, it all stops. The, and when, you told, when you told me about this, right, like I'm, I'm getting like teary now and I, does, it takes oh, a lot to get me to proper thing. But when you told me about it, I was really shocked because I thought it's a bit, well, it's, it's horrendous in fact. That a dog that has served the country has to be in a position where, like, when they leave, like, really, as far as I was concerned, vet bills should be covered for life. They, they've literally kept, you know, because the jobs they do, they keep our country safe, you know. They, they yes. do it like, like our police do, but, you know, search dogs, etc. They stop massive, massive, dramatic, you know, issues. They, they save people's lives on mass yes i just think like it's just baffling army dogs things like that where they're going into like afghanistan searching for searching for devices they save they save our people and i just couldn't believe that it wasn't just a given that they would be taken care of for life you know we talk about we're talking about dogs now it's police horses as well, you know. They that's they, right. They would have that, and for somebody to have to make that decision of 
I'm going to take you on. You've had a really beautiful life, but you've had a really hard life. So the chances are every dog is faces old age is going to face a lot of complications. Yes. So you are probably going to face more because you the wear and tear on your body. You didn't yes. scoot around and go for the park every day for a little walk. Chances are you were flying around places doing things that were really hard and really dramatic for you to do. Yeah, and can you imagine being that dog hand? I was chatting to some recently where they said, you know, they're they're in that position. So they've got a criminal, they know there's a criminal, they know he's armed, and the choice you have is well, it's not even a choice. The job you have is to send your dog in, knowing that that dog could die within the next couple of minutes because that criminal may think nothing of stabbing that dog just to get away. And this dog is, I get, see, I'm, I'm welling up as well, Joe. Can you imagine being that person that has to make that decision to send their dog into what they know is a life or death situation? But the dog is a police officer. You've now got that is his right, yeah. <laughs> I know it and and you're absolutely right. There has to be there has to be money for them, but there isn't. And one of the um I, I was lucky enough to sit in a meeting next to the head of um the dog, I won't get this right, dog technical training unit for uh, HM prisons. And he said, you know, the worst bit, when the dogs retire, we have to fill in a disposal form. They call it a disposal form. And he said, because they're an asset and because then they're no longer an asset, we are disposing of the asset. <laughs> he said it's horrible. But, you know, uh, but unfortunately, these these dogs, are, you know, are not the right dogs to be rehomed in the majority of situations. Some of the search dogs, the USAR search dogs. So these are the urban search and rescue dogs, the sniffer dogs, but not your general purpose dogs, you know, because you imagine how different how how careful you would have to be on the cues and the commands that you give that dog in retirement. So when I went to Thames Valley Police, the head um, trainer was, you know, scruffing this beautiful dog. They were obviously really good friends, him and the dog and the handler. And then he he wandered off, came back with the big Kevlar suit on. And as soon as he turned to face this dog, the handler just said, watch him. And on that command of watch him, the dog was like this to a person that he knew, but he'd been told to now watch him and watch him initiated this horrendous noise. I mean, it's scary. Um, but I just thought, God, imagine if you were out in the park with your retired police dog and someone just happened to say that word, you know, all hell would break loose. So these dogs are not, are not eligible for rehoming. They have to stay with their handler. But it's an it's just sometimes an insurmountable financial burden and we are now there to help I should say however there are some fantastic local retired dog uh, police dog charities there's about 16 across the country so there's already loads of work in place to help local constabularies the NFRSA has come in at, at a national level to provide support for the local charities that are already doing a great job. But um, with the backing of Lady Bathurst, we're hoping to be able to raise huge amounts of money every year to really um, support nationally. I think it's incredible and I think it's, it's such a, an eye-opener. I'm sure there's people listening who are like, I I didn't know that I wasn't aware of that. We will put the link to the charity in the show notes and we are going to do a podcast completely on it. 
so that we can get bought like way more information on it and you know i am a firm believer that even if all we can do is spread awareness it, it makes a huge difference to to how things are known about and how things can be supported so if all you can do is give your time and share on facebook and things like that about the charity if that's all you have to give that is enough just please do that for them. I think it's really, really important that we're all aware of, of what's going on. Um, thank you very much, Tracy, for an incredible podcast. I'm sure you've had other people crying now. I, I can't believe we just both cried together on a podcast. <laughs> and it's probably the first time ever. I should write it down in my memory. First time I sob on podcast. Oh, bless you, Jen. But I do believe that, like you said, you know, even simple things, like sometimes when we're out working our dogs, this time we think, oh, I don't really want to send you into that bush or send you across that stream and we have to make a decision. And it's a simple decision to make. Like you said, these people with these police dogs, they don't have that choice. The dog is going in and, and that's the end of it. And yeah. from them. And thank you for bringing it to our attention. Thank if you. people want to find you, you are a society member, yes? I am. And they can always come and say hello to you in the society groups. Um, and how do they get hold of you as part of the NFRSA? Is there a way of getting hold of you if they want to help you, if they've got fundraising ideas? Yes, absolutely. And actually, as we grow, we will be reaching out to find regional volunteers um, because we, we do go to a lot of shows. So we will be at Crafts in March, but there's shows across the country that we can't, because a lot of us are based here in Gloucestershire, we can't physically get to so we will be reaching out looking for regional volunteers as the weeks months and years go on so um you can send a, an email to our main mailbox which is um info at nfrsa.org.uk um or you can uh, direct any information to me which is tracy t-r-a-c-e-y dot the sotska w-y-s-o-c-k-a at nfrsa.org.uk. Fabulous. I love the way that you guys have the sense to go NFRSA on your website because I'm like the ladies working dog group. There's just like too many G's, too many like everything. I'm like, why didn't I just write the LWDG to begin with on every single page? It would have been so much easier. Much easier. Lovely. Thank you for your time. Thank you for a wonderful podcast. Thank you for having a conversation with me. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sure our listeners will too. Please, as listeners, let us know what you think. If you want to chat about anything that we've discussed about, we are always here for you. I'm going to say goodnight to you now, Tracy. I'm going to say goodnight to the, to the listeners, and we hope to speak to you all next week. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Thank you for listening to LWDG Poddog with me, Joe Parrott. Now, we all know training a dog takes time, energy, and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post or visit www.thelwdg.com. Thank you.